0: Well, good morning, and Sproxton's it's great to have you here, too. Thank you for that, and uh, two very worthy recipients of, of the uh, Sproxton Award. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we just sang, we need you, and uh, Father, we, we need you more than what we realize. We come to you this morning and ask that you would open our hearts that you would speak truth into our lives, and that you would send us away from here, transformed on the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we invite your Holy Spirit to have free course among us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been thinking about, um, I've been thinking about dysfunction, We use that word a lot, Um, and I I think all of us are dysfunctional in some way. You say, that's not me. It's you. (laughs) Trust me, it's you. (laughs) All of us are are touched by sin. All of us live with brokenness in our lives. Um, I, I don't know, but I find it easier to identify brokenness or issues in other people's lives than I do in my own life. But, but the truth is that we're all messed up to a greater or lesser degree. We, we can be very functionally dysfunctional. We can be dysfunctionally dysfunctional. I mean, we can't Operate, but all of us are messed up. I mean, there's perfectionism. There's, there's, uh, you know, never. It's never good enough for you. Um, it's you can't take criticism. It's that you're very critical. You have a critical spirit. It's that you have to be right all the time. It's, it's that you have these outbursts of anger, or that you're painfully shy, or you're insecure, or, or you, you know, you you are prone to addictions. Uh, You can't trust other people. You're very wary of, you know, there are all kinds of things. But all of us are broken in different ways, and all of us come from dysfunctional homes. There was only one functional home, and it didn't last long with the first couple. Uh, and, And everything was absolutely perfect. And then they decided to rebel against God, and that was it. This this couple that was just like that 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 loved each other and you know they were they were naked they weren't ashamed there was they did, there was no reason to blush everything was perfect until they rebelled against God and everything went south from there um, now they're blaming each other now they're fighting for power and position and and in their first home. One brother murders another brother, and with dysfunction comes problems between us, and, and relational issues, things that need to be worked out, things that need to be forgiven. So in the first home, we have one brother, out of jealousy uh, and envy, murdering his brother. And, and, it, and it goes all through history. And we come to the great patriarchs, and we think, oh man, that you know, that... They'll, they'll be right on, you know, Abraham and Sarah. And then they've got to plan their own little thing because God isn't working according to their timetable. And so uh, Sarah says, look, I take my handmaid. We're not having any kids. I'm not getting any younger. And, and let's do it our own way. And there was just problem and strife all along. And so, so it goes with the patriarchs from Abraham to Isaac, and Rebecca and the mess they have, Daddy's boy and Mummy's boy, and and uh, out of them God chooses Jacob. And Jacob, I mean, you talk about a messed up deal. There uh, gets the birthright from his brother he, he, by by deceit. His hairy brother and a and a father who's blind and comes in and blesses. The right one, but the wrong way. And he has to run for his life because his, his brother will kill him. Strife, brokenness. And he goes and goes to his uncles and, and uh, he never sees his mom again. He has to flee for his life. He's gone for years and years, doesn't see mom. And uh, he falls in love with one of his, one of his family members there. Uh, Rachel, and so he agrees to work seven years for that wife. And uh, he wakes up in the morning from the wedding and finds out he has her sister between the sheets with him. And Dad says, "Ah, well, we we actually marry the first one, the oldest off first. Deceit, and uh, and now we've got." competing wives competing brokenness brokenness and forgiveness is needed well we go all the way through and 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 i want to close off our series on forgiveness today talking about um, kind of a study in forgiveness from the life of joseph one of the 12 sons of jacob one of the 12 children of israel he was born to the favorite wife but she didn't have kids till much later. God kept her from having children. And, and so when, from the favorite wife, she has her firstborn. Like, this is daddy's favorite. Th- this guy, this kid is spoiled. His name is Joseph. Um, they're ecstatic to have a child. Never thought they would have a child. And now that they have a child, uh, dad is so pleased with this guy that, like, he, he just gets everything. He's, he's the kid that you, you know... You want to wait till mom and dad aren't looking and do one of those. Um, and, and so what dad does for him, he puts a special cloak on him, embroidered, because everybody else is wearing Levi's 501 jeans. But this guy is like, he is, he is strutting. He, he's, he's got all the stuff. And you know when he's a tattletale, you know, daddy, do you know what the boys did today? They could not stand him because Dad showed favoritism to him and 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 then, on top of that, he was having dreams, and his dreams were like, you know uh, the sun and the moon and the stars were bowing down to me your mother, in, in other words, your mother, your father, and all of us are going to bow down i don 't think so and and so I mean it 's just a terrible relationship there and uh this dreamer, they think, you know, we've had it with him, and they have an opportunity because they're out with the flock some distance away, and Dothan and dad says, all right, um, Joe, go, go see if your brothers are doing okay and bring me back a report. They see him tripping across the wilderness in his fancy boy uh, cloak, and they begin to conspire. Like, let's, let's do him in. Let's kill him and Reuben the oldest says oh, yeah we can't kill him so they put him in a pit in a dry cistern and they waited until some uh, some midianites came by and and they said why why should we kill him let's sell him and get 20 pieces of uh, of silver for for this guy 20 shekels of silver for this for this brother of ours so he says, let's take his coat We'll tear it up, muck it up a bit, we'll we'll kill a goat, a little goat, and we'll put the blood all over it, take it back and tell dad, is this your boy's coat? And that's what they did. So here is the kid, um, you know, despised by his brothers, and they do this to him. You know, I mean, he, he had something coming to him, but he didn't have this coming to him. And and what they did was, was was terrible. In fact, it says later he was calling out and calling out. he's crying. He's a seventeen year old young teenager, crying. And and uh, and they send him off and go back and tell dad, hey, is this your son's? And he he can't get over the grief of lo- losing the special son uh, of the special wife and and the oldest one. And and it was. A terrible situation for them. Hey, listen, how do you you forgive your brothers when they do that to you? How can you forgive something like that? The interesting thing is that God prospered Joseph wherever he was. So he gets sold into an Egyptian officer's home as a servant into Potiphar's home. And and like he just rises like cream. So he's in a different culture, different language, everything is everything is different. And God blesses him and, and his master has so much trust in him that he he leaves everything, the whole estate to him. You run the estate. There was one problem. He was a good looking young guy and he was well built and and Potiphar's wife she had eyes for him. And she would try repeatedly to seduce him, and he'd have none of it. And one day he was in the house, and she was there, and and she grabbed him by the cloak and said, Come and sleep with me. And he tore off and left his cloak behind. And so uh, uh, hell knows no fury like a uh, a jilted woman. uh, She cooks up a story. that He tried to rape me. Potiphar is incensed and has him thrown into prison. There he is in prison. Now, wrongly, again, something happened to him. How do you forgive that woman for what she did? He's in prison for a couple of years. While well, he's in prison, uh, uh, this, was, this was Pharaoh's prison. And two guys get put into prison. The chief cupbearer, the guy who makes sure that the Pharaoh's not going to get poisoned, and the chief baker. They're both put in prison. And again, Joseph had risen like cream. The warden put him in charge of the prison. He was in charge of all the prisoners. And so these guys come in, and they both have a dream. And they're really bothered because they don't know what the dream meant. And to them, there was something significant. The one, there were three things of, of of grapes. And and the the guy saw himself squeezing out grapes for... Uh, Pharaoh. And he said, well, I'll, I'll tell you what that means. God, God has given me the ability to understand dreams. So I'll tell you what it is. You're, in three days, he's going to restore you to your position. And he said, now look, when he does this, tell him about me that I'm in here. It's not fair. Tell him about me. The other guy has, has a dream that he's got three baskets of bread on his head, and the birds are coming and eating out of it. And he says, I'm not so good news for you. In three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head off. He's going to deca- he's going to kill you. He's going to decapitate you. And sure enough, it happened. Well, the, the The guy gets out, and Pharaoh uh, and and Joseph is forgotten. He he's in prison two years for something he didn't do, and uh, and now he's got another guy. How, how do I forgive this guy? You know, I gave him the good news. You know, he's out of he's out of jail. And he's forgotten me. How do I, how do I deal with that? And, and so here's the situation he's on. And um, years later, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams. And, and in those dreams, he sees like seven big, fat, beautiful cows coming up out of the Nile. And after that, seven skinny cows come up and they ate the fat cows, but they stayed skinny. And he was really bothered by these dreams that he had. And the cupbearer said, Ah, oh, hold on a second. There was a guy, now that I think of it, there was a guy in prison who could interpret dreams. We'll go bring him here. So they, they brought him here, and he said, Look, I want to tell you, I can't tell you this, but God can. And here's, here's the plan. There are going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And this is, this is what God has. i got a plan for you. you. You get everything you can in those seven years of plenty, and you prepare for the seven lean years. And the Pharaoh says, like, where can I find somebody like this? I'm putting him in charge. So here he is under Pharaoh in charge. And, uh, and now things have kind of come full circle for him. And they get through the seven years, and they go into the seven lean years. And now, not only is that area affected by famine, but that famine has spread into Canaan and further out than, than Egypt. And there's no food. And so his, his family is back there, and they know that there's food in Egypt. So the plan is, well, let's send, uh, let's send the, the ten boys... There were two boys by that favorite uh, wife. The last one was Benjamin. In fact, his mom died in childbirth. And so he's going to keep him home, and the ten are going to go out. And so now all of a sudden, here is Joseph, and he's confronted with an old wound. Here's Joseph, and here comes his ten brothers who don't recognize him in his garb, speaking Egyptian, They don't know. I mean, the years have passed. This is probably 22 years have passed now since they've seen him. And now he's got to deal with this. He's got to deal with his brothers, with that offense. Uh, How do you do that? How do you handle that? We're talking about journeying toward forgiveness. Journeying toward forgiveness. And we've been looking at forgiveness primarily from the the perspective of the, the person that needs to forgive, the person who's been offended, the person who's hurt. Um, I want to just look for a few minutes, though, um, here and consider forgiveness from the standpoint of the offender. How do you get forgiveness? And I just want to point out a couple of things for us. So, for the offender, um, how do you get forgiveness? Well, first, you need to own the responsibility for your wrong. If you have hurt somebody, if you've offended somebody, if you've sinned against somebody, if you 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 first have to begin by owning responsibility for your wrong. See, some of us try and justify. You know, it's funny with little kids, you know, cuz they're they're working things out and when you catch them red-handed, they try and blame somebody else. Yeah, but 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 she made me do it you know and and, and you've got to you got to begin by admitting and owning the wrong you know it's do you know you hear people who say if i've ever done anything to hurt you forgive me don't say don't waste your breath if you know you did something own it and and confess that to the person don't, don't be doing that kind of thing and and, and uh, take responsibility those brothers had guilt. You may as well say they had blood on their hands. And when they come to get food, Joseph recognizes them. Now, he's got to deal with it. But they've been working this through for a lot a lot of years. In Genesis 42, it says this. Here they are, and he's caught them. Uh, they don't know it's Joseph, but he's investigated and interrogated. He's found that they have, that they're all brothers. He's accused them of being spies. He's playing with them a little bit. Accused them of being spies, and, and he says, um, uh, how do I know you're not spies? Well, we're all brothers. Well, how many brothers are you? Well, they're 12, but one is no more, and one is with his father, and and so he gets all this information from them. And 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 when they get this information and and they're getting tripped up a little, says they say to one another, surely we're being punished uh, because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, "Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood. See." They had lived with this, but not really dealt with it. You know, they did. You know, because they went and they told a lie to their dad all this time. Their dad believes that his son has been killed. They've got to own it, and they're going to start to own it. They say, "You know what? This is this is our fault. We did this. God is. You know what? This God is getting us. God isn't letting us away with this. So the first thing you have to do is own." Uh, own the responsibilities. Secondly, you need to show remorse and repentance. You know, you ever say to your child, you need to apologize for that? Sorry! You ever get that? We have. Sorry! You know, there's no remorse in that. There's there's no repentance. Repentance is this turnaround in attitude, this turnaround in action and, and attitude. There's, there's none of that. You have to acknowledge it. But there needs to be a sense of, of, of genuine repentance. In, in 2 Corinthians 7, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. There's a right repentance. Uh, there, there's, there's a right kind of sorrow that leads to repentance and that 's that change of heart that 's doing a one hundred eighty that's uh, this is how I behaved before now i 'm doing a one hundred eighty this is how I think, and this is how I behave and so there needs to be this this remorse and repentance and thirdly, there needs to be uh, we need to seek forgiveness, we need to seek forgiveness. Um, Joseph brothers had sinned greatly against him. they need to come clean on that, and they need to ask for forgiveness. In Genesis 50, here's what they say. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent a word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. I don't think he did. Uh, I think they're playing that. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers and the sins and the wrongs they've committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servant, uh, of the servant of God, your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. You need to you need to confess that and, and make it right with with the person. You need to ask forgiveness. I I am so sorry. I I have hurt you. I've offended you. I've wronged you. I'm sorry. You know, the beautiful thing is, we hurt people, but all sin is ultimately against God. Isn't that what it says, you know, what, what David said in Psalm 51? Against you, you only have I sinned. And, and in 1 John 1.9, we're, we're instructed that if we confess our sins, that's to agree with God about our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he just, and to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and so we need to seek that forgiveness and um, and next we need to make restitution where possible Um, you're going to look at this passage in your life groups this week but but Zacchaeus was a, a a tax collector who cheated people out of money for years he had a life transforming encounter with Jesus Christ in which God touched his heart, cleansed him from his sin, and and forgave him. And his response was, now I need to go and make restitution. I, need to, I took money from people that I shouldn't have taken. I'm going to pay it back, and I'm going to pay more back than what I took from them. I'm going to make it right. And I think where you have an opportunity to make something right, uh, it's important that you do that. If you've defrauded someone financially, you know, work to pay it back. Um, If you've stolen their reputation, try and build their reputation up. Try and, and, um, where possible, make restitution. And finally, you need to accept forgiveness. And we talked a little bit about this. It can be so tough for us because we beat ourselves up. We're humiliated by what we have done. And we don't feel like there's any way we can pay it back. because some things you can't pay it back. If you're a drunk driver and you killed somebody, you can't bring them back to life. There's no kind of restitution you can make, but there's forgiveness with God. And you need to accept that forgiveness and live in that forgiveness. And, and, uh, and we need to be gracious to one another in terms of um, seeking forgiveness and, and, and giving uh, forgiveness. And uh, so we need, to, we need to do that to accept and to live in that forgiveness. You know, that's sometimes hard to do, isn't it? I know a young woman who got pregnant, the, who, the way out for her at the time under that pressure was to have an abortion, and had an abortion. And every time she hears abortion and when she sees a baby, she is riddled with guilt. And God wants her to be free from that. Yes, it was wrong. Yes, she sinned. But there is freedom from that, and we need to accept that forgiveness and live in it. Well, in this journey toward forgiveness, um, Joseph is going to be confronted with his brother, uh, br- brothers after some twenty two years. Here he is. Um, here he is running a business, and these people come from Canaan looking for food, and he recognizes his brothers. Um, and forgiveness, we said last week, is a journey. It's not, it's not just an event. It's an ongoing journey. And he's been on a journey of, forg- of working on forgiveness for all these years. So we want to talk about what it is now for the offended. Um, what does this journey to, uh, for the offended look like? Well, uh, I want to suggest to you that Joseph didn't immediately forgive. When they hauled him out of that cistern and sent him packing, screaming. I don't think it was there that he was learning forgiveness. Uh, I think he had to come to grips with some things that that he would learn. And uh, he will forgive his brothers. But here's some of the ways that he expressed it. Let me just rehearse a little bit of the history. So these guys come. They're looking for food. He recognizes them, and he calls them. And he said, "Okay, who are you guys? Well, we're from Canaan. We're all members of one family. Ah, I think you're spies. You're spies, aren't you spies? No, we're not. No, we're we're all we're all sons of one man. And, and you know, the one is gone, and the little guy, he's at home with dad, and dad loves him. And so, he sells them grain. And what he does is he has them put." their money back in the grain sack. So they get off some way. They stop. They're gonna feed their their uh, beasts and, and they, they find their money and they go, uh oh, this is this is trouble. They're gonna think now we stole the money back. Joseph sends the people, he, he sends soldiers to go and stop them, hauls them all back, and says, What have you done? And and in the meantime, they're going. Look, this is all happened because of what we did to our brother. They're dealing with guilt on this thing over and over, and um, so he says, uh, "Well, let's let's do this. Um, you, you, I'm going to put you all in prison here. He's, well, you can't. So they left one. So they left Simeon, the second oldest. They left him in prison." And they said, you don't come back here unless you bring your youngest brother, which was his full brother. And so they, they go home. Uh, there's nothing they can do. They tell their dad about it, and their dad has never gotten over Joseph's death, supposed death. And, and so, so here they are, and he says, there's no way you're taking Benjamin. No way he's going. And finally, when they run out of food, uh, and, and now Judah the brother kind of comes to the fore and he says this. He says, Dad, we're, we're going to die either way. I, you know, I will, I will guarantee and you can kill my sons if anything happens to Benjamin. I will guarantee. So they go back. They take Benjamin. He relents finally. They come back. And Joseph is like he's overwhelmed with emotion seeing his brother that he hasn't seen in 22 years. And uh, he, has a, he has a banquet for them. In fact, he gives Benjamin five times the amount of food that the other guys get. He didn't learn much about favoritism. Um, And then they send them back. But they take Joseph's special silver cup and put it in Benjamin's sack. Let him go. They go chase him. Hey, what have you got? Our, our, uh, Our master's cup is missing. And they said, look, if it's in any of ours, you know, kill whoever it is. They open up, Benjamin's, and horror of horrors, there's the cup. Drags them all back again. And, um, and at this point, now we're going to get to what happens. How, how he's going to deal with this. Um, and, and the first point I have here for you is, is this. In forgiving, protect the offender... From embarrassment. They've come to grips with, um, with, what they've, with what they've done. They're here in a bad way. And Judah makes an impassioned plea when they haul him back. No, look it. Take me. Let the little guy. This will kill our father if you do this. And finally, uh, Joseph says, everybody out. All of his people, leave him just with these guys. And he reveals himself. Here's what it says in Genesis 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I have these wicked thoughts like, vengeful thoughts. Like, they need, to, they need to get theirs. Like, I'm going to expose them. I can't expose them. And I'll expose them. And I'll make them look bad because I've been hurt so deeply. And what Joseph does is not seek to humiliate them before the Egyptians. He sends them out. It's only at that point that he reveals himself to them. And I would say, one sign that you're forgiving Is when you when you refuse to embarrass the people who have hurt you. And here's where he starts. You can imagine, you can imagine how they felt because they 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 don't understand that they've been dealing with their brother all along. He didn't look like they did. He didn't talk like they did. Uh, He 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 was a ruler in Egypt. How how could this be their brother? The second thing I want to point out to you don't allow the offender to be afraid of you you know you know when there's something not right between you and somebody else and you see them in the mall what do you do you know what you do you duck into an aisle you duck into a store cuz you don't want to see him you don't want to confront him you don't make eye contact so you make sure you look it. Mm-hmm. um and 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 i, I think some of us, in, in our twisted ways, when we've been really hurt, if we can make somebody feel bad, we do. If we can make them feel afraid that they've got to confront us, that they've got to say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, come on, here I am. And make them feel, and, and, and Joseph doesn't do that. He doesn't want them to be afraid of them, where some of us will want them to squirm. Uh, look at in, in Genesis 45, 2 and 3. Joseph wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard, he just revealed himself to his brothers. He's been has had this pent-up emotion, and it just all gushes out uh like a like a torrent. Um, and his, the, all of Pharaoh's household hears about it. Joseph says to his brothers, uh, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer. You can understand that. They're going, I, I can't. I can't and, and they were terrified at his presence. Why? Because this is when you can get even. He's got the power to do it. Bam. They're done. They're gone. Um, and, and, and so he doesn't want them to be afraid. Look at chapter 50, what he says. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You're afraid of me. And in rightly so, you could be afraid of me, but I, I'm not here to harm you. I don't want you to be afraid. Let me tell you, when you're, st- when you're actually forgiving, you're not going to want somebody to be afraid of you or to, or to live in fear. Um, you want to allay their fears just like he did here. Well, well thirdly, we show it by uh, don't at the same time, disregard the offense. We talked about this last week. Does this mean, if I'm forgiving, does this mean like I can't, I've got to pretend like nothing happened and it didn't mean anything? Well, listen, to what, listen to what Joseph says. Uh, he says to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph. The one you sold into Egypt. See, a little bit in their face. Don't be afraid, but you know what? Look it. There's something we need to square. There was a wrong here, um, that, you know, and, and, and it's not to disregard the offense. And, and fourthly, refuse to punish. See, it was in his power to punish his brothers. He's not interested in punishing them. And you know God is really working in your heart when somebody's hurt you so deeply and, and, and you don't want to punish them. In, in chapter Genesis 50, it says this, his brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I'm not going to make you pay for this. Uh, there's not going to be revenge. I'm not going to punish you. And, and, and fifthly, uh, forgive and reconcile where possible. Forgive and reconcile. Now we said we said last week that forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate but related uh, categories, and we said there are times when you are unable to reconcile. Uh, there are times when it's not wise to reconcile. But all things being equal, God wants a reconciliation among people who have hurt or sinned against each other. And, and, um, and this is where we get to with, with Joseph. He wants reconciliation. Look at chapter 45 and verses 4 and 5. Joseph said to his brothers, "'Come close to me. Guys, come here. They're going to have a little bit of a, a love in. I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt.'" And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. (sighs) Reconcile where you can. Um, Bring people together. And, And then next, trust God's purpose in your life. Do you know, God is in control. I have a very strong commitment and understanding to the sovereignty of God in all of life. There's stuff that happens to us. There's stuff that's happened in my life, stuff that, that I have not deserved, that have happened to me, that, you know, that, that people have hurt me at times. And, and you know, you think, well, um, God, where are you? What's happening? God is still in control, and he has a purpose for your life. In Romans eight twenty eight and 29... It says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, in the good things, in the bad things, in the tough things, in the challenging things, God is working in all things. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He has a purpose and a program. and He wants us to become like Jesus. I want to tell you that the pathway to becoming like Jesus, you say, I want to be like Jesus. Oh, do you? You want to hang on a cross, being brutalized and mocked and, and hanging there naked and, and, and say to, to the Father, Father, don't forgive them. You want to be like Jesus? Then you need to be in some situations where you need to act like Jesus and do what Jesus would do. And what he wants us to be is like Jesus. And you can't be like Jesus until you go through some tough stuff and you respond as Jesus would respond. And so his purpose is Christ-likeness. I tell you, Joseph was a spoiled brat. He is now a seasoned leader. He didn't get there in his home by tripping around in his fancy boy coat and and uh, tattling on his brothers and sisters. He went through tough stuff for God to make him into the man that he wanted him to be. And and, and how do you get from there to to there? it's through going through some tough things when we have to respond and we have to trust God that God is working in all of those things. Can you trust God in the tough things that are in your life? Can you, can you trust that He's working for your good and can you cooperate that with, with that? Can you be patient because God has a purpose. And so often, we don't know the purpose at the time. We can't see it. And now Joseph has the advantage that he can look back over the history of his life and see that God had something special that he was calling him to do that he didn't understand before. That he could trust God. That God was working all things for a plan. And so he says in Genesis... He says, no, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that who sent him? God sent him. See, do you believe that God is in control of things? I do. And, and, and God has purpose. And God, he says, you know, I understand now. God sent me here for a purpose. i continue, please. For two years now, there had been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by this great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And, uh, and, and that's what God does. Um, God had a purpose. In, in uh, chapter 50. Do I have chapter 50 there? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Somebody's hurt you. Somebody's done something to you. They meant it for evil, but God has a special purpose and plan for your life, and he will use that terrible, hurtful, a uh, distasteful thing that happened to you to make you the kind of person that you that he wants you to be H- how do you get there i'll tell you what it doesn't come easily he was called the green river killer a 20 year period of uh, murdering women in the state of washington had come to an end on November the 30th, 2001. That's Gary Ridgway. He would plea bargain and and, uh, he would plead guilty to 48 uh, first-degree murder charges against women whom he felt were uh, prostitutes. This went on for years. In fact, In fact, they they think the number was closer to 80 to 90 people. They know there were a lot more than the 48. There's just some of the women he murdered over a 20-year period. They never got this guy. Um, And he bargained to be in prison for life with no chance of parole if he would would confess uh, to those. And he stood and charge after charge. With respect to the... Uh, to the charge of murder, first-degree murder against so-and-so, guilty, guilty. 48 times he said that before the judge. Uh, at his sentencing, there was an opportunity for victims to give a victim impact statement. And one by one, family members of those uh, women who had been murdered came and stood before the podium and spoke. Uh, Vicky Ward was one of those. She was a sister of Kelly, who was murdered. She looked at Ridgway and she called him an animal. You could, you could see the venom. You could hear the venom in her words. She said, I wish you a long, suffering, and cruel death. Carol Estes was the mother of Deborah. Said, given her chance to speak, she said, He is going to hell, and that's where he belongs. Strangely enough, after a number of these people had said their piece, Ridgway sat stone-faced through all of these until Robert Rule slowly but deliberately approached the podium. His daughter, Linda, had been murdered by Ridgway. He was a Santa Claus-looking figure. The long white hair, the white beard, the colorful uh, uh, straps, and he moved close. He he moved deliberately toward, but slowly toward the microphone. Mister Ridgway, he said, "There are people here who hate you." He paused. I am not one of them. You have made it difficult. To what I believe. And that's what God says to do. And looking at him, he said, You are forgiven, sir. With that, Ridgway looked away, and tears began to course down his cheeks. All these people who hated him. He was a monster. He was an animal. The terrible things he'd done. But somebody moved by the Spirit of God who'd been forgiven so much themselves, stood before this guy who brutally took the life of his daughter and said, I don't hate you, and I forgive you. And it was more than he could do to control his emotion. How do you forgive like that? How do you forgive like that? certainly exceeds anything that we're humanly capable of doing. That's something that only God can do. Musicians, would you, would you come up, please? Um, say, I don't know. I don't know what's happened in that twisted man's mind as he sits in prison. But what a powerful testimony to say, sir, I don't hate you for the terrible thing you did, and I forgive you. And that's what God calls us to. And I know some of us are struggling in our lives because there's some people that have done terrible things to you in your life. You don't want to forgive them. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And yet, they're forgiven. They can be forgiven by us when we reach out in the power of the Spirit to love them. The power the power to forgive.